Hello, human peoples. You're listening to the podcast network of Gamefully Unemployed. Support us and gain access to great exclusive podcasts like Fox Mulder is a Maniac, Tom and Jeff Watch Batman, Star Trek The Next Futurama, and our latest show, Spiel Boys. Head over to patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. We do game streaming, movie nights with our patrons every Friday night, and you can even commission your own podcast about anything you want. Literally anything, within reason, and we have to do it. You are quite frankly out of excuses not to go visit patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. That's patreon.com slash G-A-M-E-F-U-L-L-Y unemployed, which is spelled like it sounds. And now we are podcasting. This is it. Do you feel it? Yeah, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'm like twiddling with my little buttons and everything. I feel it. Okay, good. (laughs) Good, good, good. Hi, everybody. Hello. Uh, My name is David Bell. And I'm Drew Grant. Hi. There you are. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> and we just watched, oh boy, Skinnamarink. Skinnamarink. It's, it's, uh, oh. spooky. Yeah. Spooky stuff. In this house. In this house. Drew, first of all, thank you for being on. Thank oh. you so much. Oh my God, you're so welcome. I'm so excited to talk about this film whenever people want to talk about it. I know you it. are. <laughs> I know you are. Um, just to get it out of the way, do you want to plug anything? You want to tell people who you are, where people can find you? Oh, do yeah. Do you have any sort of like manifesto? Or any, like, thoughts on the world that you would just want to share? Yeah, you can find those all on my uh, Reddit subform. No, you can find them over at Content Candy. <laughs> That's the name of our uh, podcast network. I'm, I'm slowly kind of building it back up again. I took, uh, like, a year off to go do other stuff. But Content Candy, it has shows like Garmin Shosio with me and Lon Harris. Um, we're starting that up again soon. Uh, I know Lon. Yeah, you do know Lon. He's the best. Uh, we have... Um, then Video Chronicles, which is me and Nerd Chronic, and we also have uh, Salty Popcorn Reviews, in which we just reviewed Skidmerink. So I think that's what I've got Ooh. going on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I knew you were excited about this movie. This is an interesting movie. This is on Shudder. Mm-hmm. This was in theaters, mm-hmm. and I would describe this movie as polarizing mm-hmm. in the horror community, mm-hmm. uh, and which is why I wanted to talk about it, is that it appears that on the internet... People either hate the movie or they love it. Yeah. Well, which side are you on? I, well, see, I, mm, I love this movie, but I understand how you could hate this movie. Does that make sense? Like I saw this movie in theaters. I saw it in theaters. I had the most like viscerally terrifying experience. I think you can possibly have seeing a film. Like I was crawling out of my seat. Like I was, me and my boyfriend were just like kind of, kind of clawing up at each other at certain points, just trying not to look at the screen. It was so terrifying. But right. had you watched this at home, which I think many people are going to end up doing, I'm not sure if it's going to be scary at all. Uh, well, let me run you. I'll run you through how I watched okay. it. Okay. And tell me if you approve. Okay. Uh, I had to watch it at home, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go see it. There was like a special showing I really wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, turned all the lights off, big screen, mm-hmm. cranked up the sound. Mm-hmm. 
and didn't talk throughout. Okay, but that's a, that is how you can do it. I feel like that's yeah. an acceptable way of watching Skid America. Lon was trying to text me while watching it, and I was like, don't, "No, don't do that." Yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, it has to be. Um, I consider it, and this will not surprise many people who know me, but I consider it like a David Lynch kind of early David Lynch film, which is like it's not so much a movie as it is like a art installation piece that he's put to the like medium of film. Right. And I do want to talk about that aspect of this. Mm -hmm. I will say what's funny is you said, I love this film, but I understand why people hate it. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched this with Hannah and she gave me her permission to say this quote. She hated it, but liked that it existed, Mm -hmm. which is basically the opposite side of what you're saying, which is that it's, Oh, I hate this, but I understand why people would love it is essentially that. I don't want to put words in her mouth, but it's just interesting that uh, the, the, the debate over this movie does seem like people seem to understand where everybody's coming from, well, which is nice. Well, cause I think what Hannah is also saying is this movie was made for $18,000, maybe something a little less than that. I mean, it's 15,000 15, the internet says, yeah. and it's made over a million, which is successful. It's very successful. I think it still hasn't reached that like paranormal activity or Blair, Witch levels of like recouping the money, but it's certainly right. hitting that like, you know, it's getting up to that Texas chainsaw if you like to calculate for the differences. You know, like it's it's getting up to like maybe not that famous, but you know, like it's getting up to a level of, of gain of hype buzz. Patton Oswald just did like a screening with uh with Kyle Edward Ball, the director. And I think we're all just really impressed that these independent horror movies can get made outside of like Bloomhouse or a big distributor. These can just sort of like hit tit talk and become like a big thing. So in that way I agree with her. I, I appreciate that it exists even if I don't necessarily think it will like hold up. Uh, yeah well that's the thing is so something that gives me hope Mm -hmm. about this movie uh is the fact that i watched this house and i saw all the buzz and i'm like are young people gonna start becoming like into experimental and surrealist like are we gonna get a bunch of beatniks are Mm -hmm. we gonna get an era because in this marvel world which you know there's always mainstream films whatever but it does feel like it does feel like, uh, may, I mean, I don't know. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong here. Uh, that like millennials and like art experimental stuff mm-hmm. just didn't seem like a thing as much. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah. As opposed to like you know even boomers with their hippie era and their weird fucking bullshit. Like we don't have that as much. No, it doesn't feel that way. And so seeing people embrace this movie, I was like, oh, that's great because this movie has a lot of things that reminded me of like the seventies and sixties mm-hmm. uh, in the style. And of course I know the filmmaker was specifically uh, copying that, mm-hmm. but I do want to say, I think I have the hottest take on this film. Okay. Okay. Are you ready for it? Uh, let's, yeah, let's go for it. I didn't hate or love this film. Oh my God. I am right in the center. I am lukewarm on Skinnamarink. Wow. Dave, that might be the hottest take I've ever heard. <laughs> I know. How can it, it, you lukewarm about this film where nothing happens, but it's very scary? Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> I, 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 so I wrote a little list and I wrote bad things and good things mm-hmm. uh, to explain that. And we can, uh, you know, we can go through it if you'd like. But my, my basic thought on this film is that the movie kept losing me and getting me again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I kept going, oh, that's really good. And then I started going, okay, that didn't, no, I don't like that. For example, I don't like, I think jump scares are Uh generally bad in a horror movie. Yes. Uh, And I think this movie. uh, Okay. So. Oh, you're so close. I've been waiting so long to hear what David Bell thinks of the jump scares in Skin Rank. (laughs) This is why I came on. (laughs) Here's my comparison. 
Do you remember when David Blaine's Street Magic came out? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I see where you're going. (laughs) (laughs) You already do. Okay, good. David Blaine's Street Magic seemed really impressive when it came Mm -hmm. out Mm because it felt more real. Mm -hmm. The irony of that was that David Blaine's Street Magic was actually less real than most stage magicians. Right. The reason why is because when you're a stage magician, you're doing it in front of a live audience. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's from one angle. But so is David Blaine's street magic mm-hmm. because he had the benefit of editing mm-hmm. and a single camera. He's just doing magic for a single camera. Mm-hmm. And what you realize later is, oh, he could have faked everything mm-hmm. because yeah. he's doing it on camera. Mm-hmm. I think Skinnamarink, their scares kind of function that way. And don't get me wrong. David Blaine had talent. Uh, yeah. Uh, Skinnamarink has talent. Mm-hmm. But... The way it's scaring you, I would argue, is actually a lot easier way to scare people than most horror movies. Now, does that make that less like successful or less good or no. less? Yeah, okay. Because I know how a you comparison, feel about yeah, Scooby-Doo. because there's no rules, right? Mm-hmm. There's a like we could we can talk about the plot, but the plot is is not um, portrayed in any like uh uh you know grounded way in this film right no it's not although there is a short film that this is based on that i think adds some context to what is going on in this film but but we can get into it yeah yeah the plot is basically two kids wake up their parents are gone the the toilet uh windows and doors are gone from the house they're blipping it out they're blipping in and out of existence is what's happening yeah yeah i was gonna say correct me if i'm wrong because this is just based off watching it um (laughs) and during and then they they're going in and out of sleep it, it there doesn't seem to be a daytime they are in some sort of purgatory and in that purgatory a demon is calling to them and trying to get basically trying to mess with them in some way the mm. sister uh briefly sees the mom and dad but it appears to be so the the parents are either in some sort of uh purgatory themselves or it's a trick it's hard to tell um she gets scared and and leaves that she goes into the basement or i think she gets led into the basement Mm. and she loses her mouth and eyes Hmm. and we start following the brother who then the demon compels to stab himself in the eye yeah and he calls the police um and then ultimately it just seems like the demon takes him (laughs) and the whole family has been taken by this entity. That's what it, 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 there's a part where it implies that like over 500 days have passed. Yeah. That was, that was a weird Um, part. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I liked that part. I did. Um, Can I give you a, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no, you go. I I have a slightly alternate read of, of what happens in this movie. And I think that's kind of why this movie is great is because like you can read so much into it because there's so little, uh, on the screen to give you context. Right. But I, I read it. The movie kind of starts out and the, you find out the, the, the son has been sleepwalking and he fell down the stairs and you hear like the dad talking on the phone to somebody. Right. Uh, you hear sort of like, muff- yeah. And you, f- you hear some sort of muffled like yelling and it's, I don't know. I sort of like a lot of this implied to me like child abuse or like what happens in, in homes where there is child abuse. Like the way that he talks on the phone to the cop when he's like, the cop asks someone in the room with you and the way that I don't know, some of it went around where I was like, oh, is this like a is this sort of like a tale of a kid who's been physically abused and has since like retreated into himself or fallen into a coma or has gotten really sick? And this has become was, like a fever dream. Yeah, that was a, I'm glad you brought that up because the him falling down the stairs, there is a case to be made for this is all happening. Just the kid has 
yeah died or yeah. been in a coma or something mm-hmm. now the short can i can i talk about the short or is it like no please comment? so there's a short movie called heck uh that is sort of the predecessor to this film uh kyle edward ball i really like him he's part of this when you were talking earlier about like the you um the new kids the new generation and what they're gonna do with horror i would argue that they've been doing a lot of experimental stuff like they have been that's what, like what core core is on tiktok or like uh, what like a little bit earlier, like a lot of these YouTube shorts are like you can find ARG alternate reality game horror series like Slender Man was an early one uh, or like there's so many like great, great horror things going on on YouTube and like other social media platforms that we're just not aware of because we're not clued into the cultural like Gen Z consciousness. But they're doing a lot of scary stuff. And Kyle Edward Ball has been doing this thing called, I think, Bite Size Nightmares for a while, where he just does, like, moodscapes based on people's nightmares. Well, he'll have somebody write in, tell them their nightmare, and he'll read it out loud while creating this, like, evocative dreamscape. And so that's just, like, where he's coming from. And I don't think it's, like, necessarily cheap or good or bad. I think it is just his style. But it isn't, well, like, like, it isn't like a Slender Man thing. Yeah. yeah. I love the style. Mm-hmm. Um the part where the movie loses me is the part where a lot of horror movie loses me, mm-hmm. which is the presence of jump scares. Yeah. I thought, um, that, I people, thought that might be a case. <laughs> yeah. People talk about that telephone and what bums me out about the telephone is that the shots leading up to it, the turning the, the lights on and off mm-hmm. and the eyes in the dark, mm-hmm. that's an image that will stay with me, mm-hmm. but then it gets spoiled by that fucking telephone yeah. ring in my opinion because that to me is the equivalent of when a you watch a youtube video and it's like yeah. look find the ghost in this video and then a fake fucking face jumps out yeah you know what i mean i'd agree i would and, say yeah that's that's the point where it lost me go ahead sorry oh yeah and no and I, that's what i mean about the david blaine of it all which is that you can do you can scare anybody that way mm-hmm. anybody can scare people by making loud noises and sudden camera cuts. And if it's completely unmotivated because it's experimental, you can do it anytime you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where this film, I think the crutch that they, they sort of were on during this film that bummed me out because otherwise there is some amazing imagery. And what's funny is that because of that crutch, you know what movie this reminded me a lot of? If you're going to say smile, what is it? No, I haven't seen Smile yet. Uh, this movie is basically paranormal activity. Yeah. You brought paranormal activity up. Set in a suburban house with a demonic presence trying to get characters while they're sleeping. They both vis- uh, feature like long, quiet shots that suddenly have these like jump scare moments mm-hmm. where you're watching for a while in this quiet. Um, the only difference is one, I think, was done with more, more uh, artistic care this movie yeah i mean that it sort of bums me out because i think this this movie actually has a lot more to say but i think a lot of it will get lost in like the translation of not uh of not seeing this on a big screen because to me like the scariest part of this movie was not the telephone that was an easy jump scare and as soon as i saw that i was like i don't know why but my mind flashed to you dave and i was like oh david c bell's gonna hate this i was like <laughs> i was like david's gonna hate he's gonna say this is a cheap unearned jump scare because it is this well, is, yeah, be- because all it does is it just made my nerves pop, you know, like, yeah, it's just popping a balloon in front of me and making me jump 
because it allowed noise happened. But that's all. What it did really well, I thought, and what I think it's it's got more to say than a paranormal activity is the scariest movie in actuality, or the first scariest scene in actuality is the scene scene where the girl goes into the bedroom and sees her parents. She sees her father's legs on the bed at sort of this like impossible angle, and she's told by a voice to go look under the bed. And this is where this movie is actually really interesting because who's what is the camera? In this movie, in Skin of a Rink, like, what is the camera? What POV is the camera? Because the camera. I have some thoughts on that. The camera does crazy things in this movie. Sometimes it pans, like it's on, like a yeah, like a paranormal activity, some sort of timer, like it's a house cam. Sometimes it's like a POV, like a child's unnatural angles, just sort of staring at walls at weird places. But regardless, you're going with the girl on, as she looks underneath the bed really slowly, and she comes back up, and nothing's different. Her dad's legs are still on the bed, and she hears, "Do it again." And at that point, the entire theater, like. You could just feel everyone sort of like recoil in their yeah. seats because the the amount of like dread, the physical dread it brings up to like the disembodied voice, like the feeling of just like look under the bed again. It has that sort of like non-logical nightmare, specifically like a night terror, like a sleep paralysis kind of vibe to it. So everyone in the theater is like squirming. She looks under the bed like real slowly and the camera follows her eye line, I guess. And then we come back up and the dad's legs are gone. And the mom is facing away from her on the bed. And like, yes, these are things that like Blair Witch Project did that I don't think Paranormal Activity did, which is like building a sense of like dread. It isn't just a jump yes. scare. It's a, it's a feeling of, of total paralysis, of feeling like you're a child who has to like obey orders coming from like a disembodied voice who's being given like nonsensical sort of but like terrifying like, uh, you know, directions like look under right. your bed, look under a dark bed, you know, um, yeah, so that's that's just what I think is really interesting about the movie is how it puts you in the mindset of a four year old, which is way too young to be like a main character in a horror movie. That's when I was smiling that whole scene because I was like, "This is fucking phenomenal!" Yeah, phenomenal. And that's what I mean is the movie kept losing me and getting me again, and basically every jump scare lost me. Yeah, because what that did was it honestly just kind of gave me a little bit of a headache because mm-hmm. it didn't scare me. It's the equivalent of when a fire alarm goes off mm-hmm. and you're like, ah fuck like that's what it was um because it's it's out of nowhere and then it's just irritating Mm -hmm. but those scenes are genuinely chilling and i would say show a lot of talent and i do want to say for the record i think this movie is way better than paranormal activity yeah i don't i actually don't mind the paranormal activities they're, but they're schlocky. They're silly and they're, you know, they're, they're, I would argue that even the producers would say like, yeah, we were going for like an easy money situation there. Yeah. The craziest um, thing about paranormal activity is if you go, if you track actually what's happening in them, like if, especially like when you move over to the marked ones, which I believe is like the reboot one that takes place in like, uh, what, like a Hispanic neighbor or Latino neighborhood in, in yeah. Los Angeles. I'd say like the narrative paranormal activities have gotten like very interesting. I think it's about like a coven of witches. Yeah. 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 They, they explain everything by the last film. <laughs> it's so which weird. Was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but like, no, I think that there, there's that part of the movie. The other part that really got me, uh, and I do think there is a, a reason for the jump scares, which is you put one early enough, you put one in that scene with the girl with the no eyes that there, and then you spend the rest of the movie primed for a jump scare. So the rest of the movie, even when it's just, for the rest of like the for like until that telephone, you don't have anything that's really terrifying innately. You're just like primed and you're in that weird tense mode of like what's going to come out of the darkness. If they didn't have that early jump scare, I think of like the girl's face disappearing and kind of bleh, or like the loud noise when she sees the Barbie on the wall because things are hanging from weird angles. Um, I think that you would 
not be primed in the same way to be uh, like for it to evoke the same terror when you're just watching cartoons with a little kid or like right. to me the cheapest part of this movie was the um the like actual physical harm brought to a child like i don't understand whose benefit that was for to have a kid stick a knife in his eye or even the implication of a kid sticking a knife in his eye right we don't see it but it ha- yeah yeah we hear that he did it and like we see the blood splatters and and later on in the film we we get the sense that the demon has is killing him and then like rewinding it and then killing him again we're hearing like this rewind sound of a kid crying and blood splattering and then unsplattering. So sort of doing something weird with time. But I found that like, I don't want to sound like an old person. I found that distasteful. Like, I feel like it's a four year old kid. I don't know what kind of pleasure a demon's getting out of hurting them or like what pleasure we, the audience are supposed to get out of being like, Oh yeah, that four year old's really, you know, transgressed in some way. Um, Right. I think it was meant to, you know, disturb. Mm-hmm. And I think it did that. And I don't know. I, I get what you're saying, mm-hmm. which is that it's, again, it's one of those things that it's like hurting an animal in a horror movie yeah. where it's like, that's just a really easy way to upset people. Yeah. Um, and if you're like, again, Megan. when you're not, when you don't have like a plot that's solid, mm-hmm. uh, you can do whatever. And so when that stuff happens, it feels even more unearned. Well, I also think that makes sense. It makes sense. I also think just think it's not scary. Like to me, like the idea of physical danger, when you're thinking about like sleep paralysis and the idea of like, what's really scary is when he goes to that door and he's climbing on the ceiling, he's going through a doorway again, guys out of context, it's not going to make any sense. But if you've seen the movie, hopefully you know what I'm talking about. There's one part where the child is crawling through um, a doorway from the ceiling perspective and the door closes behind him and he kind of turns around. And it's become a dollhouse that's kind of like, like kind of blocked by a bunch of Legos. And the entire movie, you've kind of been hearing this really loud uh, cartoon music, like this public domain footage cartoon music that he's been yeah. watching. And it's always been in the I, background. That loop scene. I yeah. really liked with the cartoon. Yeah, I really like that, too. So as he's as he's like looking at the house, it's getting smaller and like winking out of existence. And the lo- like Lego blocks around it are getting bigger. And he's sort of. You get the sense the perspective is that he is moving farther away. But as he's moving farther away, the house, you know, his his portal back to his own home, the sound of the TV is getting louder and is becoming like a like cacophony. Like it's just becoming so loud. And that to me is very, very scary. I can't explain why that's really scary that the sounds are getting louder as like your as your like home portal is getting farther away. But all I can say is when I was a kid, I had a lot of sleep paralysis issues and this was like very it's like he went into my dreams and took what happened like exactly yeah yeah. no no i agree that that's the stuff i actually thought the the 572 days thing was kind of creepy um because now the more we talk about it um i do very firmly believe this is happening in a perg like that kid Mm -hmm. is already dead Mm -hmm. um because like kind of what we're we're circling around is like like you asked the question, like whose perspective is this mm-hmm. and why is it shot this way? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess my answer to that is it's, it's trying to be shot like a dream, like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for that reason in a nightmare or in a dream perspective constantly changes, everything's kind of a blur mm-hmm. and it's being shot in a way so that it feels, uh, it feels abstract like a nightmare would, but I think that actually works really well also with the demonic uh, themes of it. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, what would you say? I have an answer to this, a personal answer, but what would you say is what, what makes a good horror movie? 
Uh, dread. I think it's it's something that sticks with you and it makes it like it makes you uncomfortable because of the closeness you're getting to something that's outside of your understanding. That's what I think horror, like real good horror is. It's like something that's beyond real. And so, yes. but like hit something deep inside you, like primordial. Yeah. That's, I think that's a very good answer. I would add, I would add one component to it mm-hmm. is that for me, what makes it really good is if they're able to make you feel that dread about something that you wouldn't normally feel that about. Right. I mean, about yeah. the everyday uh the mundane right it's a great quote about david foster wallace that he said of david lynch that he made the horrifying mundane and the mundane horrifying yeah exactly yeah and i i would say that's why for example when there's so many movies about demons right Mm -hmm. and whenever they just show the demon Mm -hmm. like uh the one i always go to is um and it's nothing against this movie um (laughs) uh sinister where it's like Oh yeah, he is a he does look like a member of Slipknot and he's jumping <laughs> out in front of me. It's like, yeah, that is it's you know, you know how yeah. scary you know the subtle ah, scariness yeah. of a man dressed in a spooky mask. They were doing you know so well. I mean? They were doing so well too, like the old footage. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I, I am I love your guys' take on the whole Bagul thing. I think it's great. Right. Yeah. But but you know what I mean, yeah. where it's like slasher movies I think are fun for other reasons. But like when it's just like a person with a knife, I'm like, that's not the scary part. Yeah. Like the Shining is a good example. Jack with the axe is scary, but he's it's not what makes me scared of the Shining. Yes. It is the demonic forces that are happening around it. Yes. Um and I think and so Oh, go on. No, no, please finish that thought, please. Oh, and so this movie has both for me because you know what feels like an easy scare is what if this toy suddenly changed its face Mm -hmm. and what looked scary they do that in this Mm -hmm. versus the general vibe of the movie to depict something that i always love seeing depicted in movies which is uh, again demonic forces i love it when a demon is depicted in a way that's so abstract that it's kind of beyond our comprehension because that's how it should be it should be like an ant and a human right Mm -hmm. um or us and an alien. Like, I love yeah. it when we do that with aliens, too, where it feels like weird magic. And it's like, no, you just don't understand it. Yeah. So to have the have Skinnamarink have the, the style be this really abstract, surreal way where things are sticking to the wall and suddenly it's a dollhouse and mm-hmm. the toys mm-hmm. and, like, apparently, like, years have suddenly passed in mm-hmm. this dream. Uh, at least that's implied... And these whispers, oh god, and these the like illegible sounds, yeah, like that to me feels demonic in a very, a very unique way mm-hmm. uh, because it is abstract. It is like the incoherent, and that that I love that about this. I mean, have you ever seen the um, documentary? It's by the guy who made the Room Two Three Seven documentary. Uh, that's what's called. It's, ha- called. it's called I, the Nightmare. I saw. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that. I saw some of Room 237. Room 237 is about The Shining. It's great. This guy also made one called The Nightmare about night terrors. But what he did was uh, people who have like sleep paralysis, uh, which again is like this weird thing. It's it's an actual physical thing, but they can't really seem to figure figure out like why, like scientifically, why some people have them, why some people don't. It's basically you you are awake, like you're conscious that you're awake, but like you can't move and you have auditory and uh, like... um, you know visual hallucinations um and you can feel like very much like you are suspended out of your body or for me like it's like i'm always hovering two feet below my body like i'm phasing through the floor and it you, when you describe them to people they don't sound that scary so what the documentary did very well was they did re reenactments 
they recreated what it was Ooh. like too. And the whole movie is shot like from the weird warp perspective of someone having a night terror. So angles will be all wrong and the shadows will be too big. But what they found was just across the board, people have the same night terror. Like we're not dreaming of different things. Like none of these are like unique to our persons. What they're all dreaming of is basically like three different types. One is the alien, like the alien with the round head, sort of like the skinnamarink imagery. One is mm-hmm. a guy in a fedora. Which is literally like the Freddy Krueger. So like it's just like the same shape. It's like a it's like a black outline of a man. This is what I had a lot of times growing up before I ever saw Nightmare on Elm Street. Was like literally a guy would be standing in the doorway, but he would be made out of shadow. Like he was just the absence of color, and he'd be wearing did, a fedora. Um, yeah. Did the presence of pickup artists help you feel less scared of fedoras? I mean, when I saw Nightmare on Elm Street, I was like, oh, it's that guy. I was like, oh, this makes sense. And then later you learn that's just like Wes Craven had his own night terror and based Freddy Krueger on that but it is a it's a culturally shared image that's that people who have like had sleep paralysis and are more primed to be i don't know if they're thrill seeking or if they go out and search for scary stuff because they are just so primed to being like just not being able to sleep well or what it like causes in people but like as soon as you watch nightmare on elm street and if you've had sleep paralysis you're like oh that guy that thing that like has been haunting me my whole life so it's a very familiar feeling um so what this movie does well is, like, it captures some of that, I think, the very end scene of Skin Rink, like, the, the face hovering. When I used to have night terrors, I would phase between the floorboards, and there would be a uh, voice, a disembodied voice being like, you're so thirsty. And I'd, like, look around, and I wouldn't be able to see anything. I was half between the floor and the ceiling. And then oh, it, man. And then a face would come out of the darkness, like, whooshing up real quick, and it would go, and I want crackers! Like, just yelling it until it became a siren <laughs> scream. And, like, this does not sound that scary. But I'm telling you, as a child, as a reoccurring feeling, that siren scream of crackers turning into just, like, a like a wail, like, just turning into, like, a loud ringing, like, was the scariest thing. Like, I would just, like, wet the bed. I had constant issues as a kid because of this reoccurring night terror. And this movie was like that. It just captured yeah. it. Like, it's so hard to evoke what terror that can bring to a child unless you shoot it, I think, from a child's either perspective or not even perspective, but like the way the world looks to a child when it's going through something like this and not understanding. That is, I understand completely how that's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, I agree. I actually, that brings me to something we haven't talked about Mm -hmm. yet, which feels, I think this is one of those things that people kind of maybe rolled their eyes at. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think it was extremely necessary. And I know why they did this for practical reasons. I want to talk about the film grain. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Because one, most likely they shot this on digital cameras and added that. Of course they did. Yeah, um, and I, Yeah, and I think that is to hide the budget a little bit. Hmm. Um, but... I don't think so. I don't think it's only for that reason. Because what the film grain did to me is it created that it created it recreated why people are like as a child and as an adult, you get scared of the dark Mm -hmm. because by making it grainy and constantly changing, you start seeing patterns everywhere Mm -hmm. in the movie. Mm -hmm. And that's why like, there's so many shots where it's like a closet door or or a bedroom door or whatever. And there's darkness beyond and you're looking at it. And I seriously had these moments where I'm like, I can't tell if he's digitally adding something there mm-hmm. or I'm just seeing it. Yeah. And he does it very, uh, I think he does it very well. He only adds stuff, I think, near the end where you realize like, oh, there's like a eyes in the darkness. But you've been waiting the whole movie. This whole movie has been 
uh, you know, it's like the, the grain loops. That's what like, a lot of people are complaining about is that it's very digitally added because like, you'll see the same grain specs in a loop. But to me, that plays it's, into the media res of it because that's what the monster's doing to the TV, right? So what if the monster is just the movie? Like, right. That is, yeah, I, I, I've had to add grain before and it's very hard to do grain mm-hmm. if you haven't shot on film. And so, yeah, like... I didn't even look for the loop because it was just like, yeah, that shit's tough. But you're right, is that that does kind of thematically add into the idea that time is looping. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and like in the idea too that like I've had a like uh, I think Lon uh, described this movie as ASM horror, like ASM horror. Yes. And like this is um I I thought of it as like the movie Fantasia, but for horror. Yeah, where it's it's all it's like reverse ASMR or. Yeah. And that's like really, I'm be honest, like that's, that's for me. That's like that. I don't know who else that's for, but like that is for mm-hmm. Drew. Like that's a Drew thing to like want. And that's a Drew thing to like be uh, receptive to. So like, yes, it is like a lot of whispering and a lot of like noises and you're just kind of straining your ears. Luckily they subtitle some of it, but other parts not. And you're just like, what are they saying? And again, going to the night terror of it all. That is how things sound when you're in one of these auditory hallucinations. It will just be like, like there's like little right. weird noises and you're just like, what's going on? Like you can't move, you can't move your eyes. So like that sense of like, what is happening? Who is talking? Why are they even whispering if they're in the house like alone? Like what? That's the, yeah, that's the big benefit. I know most people can't, you know, it's select theaters right now, but that's the benefit of seeing it in a theater because you, you don't know it. Like I, at, when I first started, I was like, do I need to turn this up? Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't tell. Yeah if the movie wanted me to hear it and when you see in theaters you know right away like okay this is not for hearing i mean like it's got a nolan-esque vibe where i'm like wondering in dolby how much of this is not going to translate to like home theaters because it's like tenet or something where it's like no 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 he wanted us to see this in theaters because he didn't want us to hear the dialogue of this movie doesn't make any sense uh this movie like has a kind of similar vibe where i'm just like yeah i think it's gonna lose people if you're not enveloped in sound because in the theater it's like every sh- like you know it's the kids versus the demonic entity moving around when it's the shuffling of feet. Like you can hear the kids shuffle. They have a very specific yeah. kind of like noise shuffle. And um, to your point, I'm not even sure if this is if Skinnerink is a demonic presence. I think, uh, and again, this is going off a little bit on it's unfairly. It's based on like extra material, but I think it's another child because um, the way it it talks to the kids and what it like is trying to do seems very kid like. What it says when it's the parents is very childlike. It's like, we love you very much. Like when it's pretending to be the mom. That's true. And uh, I do. I I actually, sorry to amend it. mm -hmm. I I would say instead of the word demonic, I should use paranormal. But go on. Yeah. So it's it's something like that. It wants to play with this boy. And it's when at the end, when it kind of makes its case for itself or what it is, reveals itself. It's like, I can do anything I want. Your sister wasn't listening to me. So I took away her like eyes and mouth. It's not talking like the way that like something that can speak latin <laughs> you know like or like right it's it's more like the twilight zone kid yeah. who can literally who also removes the eyes and mouth of, yeah. or the mouth of his sister so the, like it's that idea of like i want to play with you exactly and so the the movie the short film hack that he has about 20 minutes long and it's probably his like you know big claim to fame youtube feature uh is about very similar to some skin of a rank but it's about just one kid and he's missing his mom in a house that looks I'm pretty sure it's the same house. Um, and at one point, like, but the, in that movie, like the Chirons go by pretty frequently. You're getting like 100 days, 200 days. You're getting 5,000 days. And the kid's voice is changing as he's like growing up. 
Like, cause he starts, he's getting, young, he's getting older, but, uh, you know, he's just trying to find his mom and he, you know, he's just like, mom, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got cancer. And then I think the end of the movie is just him saying, mom, I think we're in hell. So I feel like that kind of gives away maybe either what Skip Murray yeah. is or like what what became of this kid was it became like another presence in the house to torture this next round that's, of kids. That's ultimately what I think is being depicted here mm-hmm. is hell or uh, yeah purgatory or what it means to be a ghost mm-hmm. or just to be trapped in a, an abyss because that that's the general vibe is like then that's why the filmmaking tech uh, technique works in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you kind of have to do it throughout because they're there throughout the whole thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it needs to be like this idea of like part of what makes it hell is that it's incoherent yes. for the characters. Right. They're not, it's a dream. It's, it's, they don't really physically exist. Right. Like to, to me, it's like their consciousness is yeah. what we're watching. And like, yeah, sometimes there's an arm and a leg or, or, feet but that's why we don't really see mm-hmm. um anyone mm-hmm. or any faces and why it's just a general like dreamlike existence yeah and like um, why it, it's sort of like they don't seem to have any effect on the world around them like they don't seem to be able to do anything except to each other it's sort of like how you imagine a ghost being able to move or like do stuff it's like yeah it might be on the ceiling it might be making noise it might be able to like go in and out of existence but it can't it can't like physically interact with the world that much. It can bring its Legos down or maybe stick something on the ceiling, but like it can't, it can't like have an effect on like the daytime world or the outside world. So by removing all the windows and doors, it can't, they can't ever see sunlight. There, there, there is right. no, no light, you know? And also everything's kind of a memory. Like the, the shows they're watching, we don't really see them a lot of the time. They're mm-hmm. just, it's blown out on mm-hmm. the screen or like it starts looping mm-hmm. or it's just these specific toys mm-hmm. and then the toys kind of stick places and go weird. You know, like the geography starts getting weird mm-hmm. um, and it feels like they're kind of losing their sense of yeah. reality because their memories of reality are fading. Exactly. That's exactly what I felt because I kept being like, wait, is the kitchen supposed to like have that narrow of a door frame? I'm like, cause you get a sense of the room I think, or the house when I think it's a duplex actually. Cause it looks like really too narrow to be a regular house. There's like an upstairs. Yeah. It's like a downstairs, but it seems like almost sliced in half. And as the movie goes on, it's hard to tell because again, you're only just getting sh- like weird angles of it, but it seems like the house is almost like either compressing or changing angles like I, I just felt like the kitchen area didn't make any sense to me the way they were shooting it it felt like there was a wall and then there was like a little like the tiniest of inlets and then there was the kitchen area so i don't know like it just felt like there was um there's some weird looping going on and there's some weird angles i think in the beginning when he you hear like a little muffled thump and you see a, a door opening in the closet and something falls down off of it i think that's supposed to imply that is the kid from the future because later on he will open the door and like from the ceiling and like drop something down from from that angle. Uh, right. So it's yeah. So I think there's like a lot there. I don't think you can write off this movie and just say like, oh, it's just a bunch of nothing. I think there's. Actually, no, no, I think something. it's made with. a Yeah, it's made with a lot of intent, I think. Yeah. No. Um, and one of the reasons why I think that actually is also what I think is going to be a problem with the movie, because, again, it's very polarizing. Mm-hmm. I want to note that the running time is 100 minutes, mm-hmm. not 80 minutes, mm-hmm. <laughs> 100 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um. And the question I think a lot of people are asking is, why did it need to be that long if it's so slow? And I've seen a lot of people say this should have been a short, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, if this didn't work on you, 
you're just bored watching it. Oh, and yeah. I did get bored sometimes watching it. I'm not, you know, obviously there's some amazing scenes in it um, uh, that really are going to stick stick with me. But I couldn't help to, to every now and then be like, oh, my eyes are glazing over a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, and I guess my question is like, after this conversation, I don't think there's an answer here. Mm-hmm. Is that like, could you make this shorter or could you use this device sparingly in a narrative that was more coherent? I mean, and I, I don't, I don't know if you could. I mean, like, I don't know, like, could a racer head be shorter? Like, I, I guess like, right. you could, like that movie has tons of boring parts of it. I would argue like Lynch's scariest stuff has like a ton of boring parts in it. Like that uh, episode eight of Twin Peaks, the return with like the, uh, reveal Bob. Sorry to keep going back to Dave Lynch, but that is like my, no, my thing. It's a, the director, yeah. director very much said he was inspired by Lynch. So yeah. Yeah. So like Lynch will purposely, like, like we said, like he will kind of create these mundane or like annoyingly grating kind of soundscapes of just nothing happening or just like weird images. And like, you just have to get used to the vibe of it. And then like the horror comes from like what is birthed after a long enough time of looking at nothing or like being annoyed by nothing. Um, it, it's sort of like what takes you by surprise because you've almost gotten used to the kind of, you've kind of gotten like used to being in this surreal world that he's created. Like Eraserhead's kind of unwatchable. Like people who say that they love that movie um, are like either lying or they just mean it like they mean it uh, conceptually. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, hard to agree. Did you mm-hmm. ever see the movie Begotten? No, what's that? Uh, it is 70 minutes of pure hell. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, the director made shadow of the vampire. Oh my if God. You remember that. Did Willem Dafoe and John Malkovich. Yes. <laughs> they made begotten in 1989 and then shadow of the vampire in 2000. Nothing in between. What? And I, I can't, I think they made some shorts, but that always amazed me because begotten is a cult film. I saw it on VHS and again, 70 minutes. It felt like three hours long. It was Jeez. hell. Jeez. It is it is one of the most um it's 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 an extremely hard to watch film. Yeah. Um, for I remember part of the soundtrack is just like the sound of someone choking for a while. Oh my god. It starts with someone like disemboweling themselves. What? It's in gritty gritty black and white, like really high contrast black and white. Just Google begotten film no, and I you'll am. see shots from it. Uh, just the three um, characters being named God killing himself, Mother Earth, and Son of Earth Flesh seems very Oberlin College to me. Yeah, I think, yes. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, it is a hundred percent. It is very artsy. I don't. Even, I can't even tell you if it's good. Yeah. Um, but I've never forgotten the movie mm-hmm. because it was fucking wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was seventy minutes because at least the director knew. I I have very little time. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, but I think um, it, it goes to like you know the Guy Madden films too. Like I think that there's a certain peop- there's a certain thing where it's, again I you have to approach these as not movies. I think like when I want. My dad made me yeah, go see... it's an art piece. It's an art piece. My dad made me go see, uh, was it Einstein on the Beach a couple years ago? I think that's the four-hour Philip Glass atonal opera. Oh, Christ. And, like, the, just leading up to, like, having to force myself to go watch that, like, I was just, like, I was, like, clawing my face off. I was, like, please don't... Make-. I was trying to come up with any excuse not to go see a four-hour atonal Philip Glass opera. Like, why? <laughs> like, why would you do that? But my dad's that kind of weird hippie where, like, that is, like, to him, like, the height of art. So I'm watching it, and I found myself, like, kind of digging it. It just kind of puts you into a trance. Like, you're lulled by it. Like, it's just, like, weird, you know, just people just singing, like, one note or just singing, like, one, two, three, just, like, over and over and over in different, like, ranges. And, like, yeah, after a while, after the first, like, 30 minutes when you stop resisting, you're like, oh, this is, like, art. 
this is like this is this is putting me in a different state of being that I will go into in my everyday life. This is making me take a step back and like recontextualize what life is and what my day to day is because I'm just being forced into something that is uh, an experience. And I think that's very much what this this movie does. Oh, a hundred percent. That's the that's uh, what good art should do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if it if it works, it works. If it doesn't then it's a real problem, though, yeah. right? Because then it's kind of a nightmare. If if you sat down and watched that and you hated it, uh, then it's like, I, you know, I hate this more than anything. Yeah. Because, and so I think that's why this movie is obviously so polarizing because it is a movie that normally someone would make as an experimental short. Yeah. Or like, again, you could use this as a device in a horror movie to show the horror but it's very unique to not really meet people halfway. Mm -hmm. Like this was made unconditionally Mm -hmm. where it's like, no, this is what it's going to be. It's going to be long. It's going to be a hundred minutes. And in order to tell this story, it has to be incoherent throughout Mm -hmm. because I do agree. Like to, to depict this sort of hellish existence, it can never be coherent, but it's not nonsense. Um, it's not just like you're not just being like it's not just the movie from the ring inside of the ring where it's just like scary image, no. scary image, scary image. There's, oh, a, yeah. there's something happening. It's just happening very slowly and very like, um, yeah, like almost like boringly. It's just like watching a yeah. bunch of pe- people go about their day to day life or a child go about its day to day life of just not doing anything. Absolutely, I think this director thought about every shot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the movie from the ring. The movie from the ring I find very irritating. Yeah. Because that's like, they were like, I feel like they were like, uh, just just do a music video, you know? Yeah. Just do like a bunch of fucking tool music video bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this uh, this is made with intent. This is a, a piece of art, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Yeah. And it's it is- just very obvious why it's polarizing based off how unconditional they made this. Mm-hmm. Well, look again, like I, there's a very funny, like a uh, video, I think that they were doing, um, for a racer head after it came out where they were just filming people on the street, like for marketing purposes, but just like getting their reactions. <laughs> and like most people were walking out and they're like, like, what the hell? Like, they were like, I can't believe I watched this whole thing. Or like, what was that? I hated it. Trash, garbage. And one guy <laughs> comes out and I forget what he's wearing, but he's obviously just a weirdo. And he goes, loved it. <laughs> like, this is my fifth showing. And like you're just like yeah, it will it will speak to who it speaks to. Like his long hair, and like you're just like oh yeah, that's that's the fan of Eraserhead right there. And right. Uh, someone of like I I taught a class on David Lynch in college. I was I was very obsessed with him, but his shorts are way scarier than Eraserhead. I think Eraserhead mm-hmm. being his first film was so experimental and so just novel that people were like oh hell yeah, let's give him Elephant Man. Let's Mel Brooks like champion for him to direct Elephant Man, which is a very yeah. coherent, cogent. Very bold well, move. Bold move, right. But I mean, that was Mel Brooks's, that was Mel Brooks's call because he was just like, I love Eraserhead. But to be fair, David Lynch had done a lot of cooler, creepier, more experimental shorts that just like no one had seen before that. Uh, and so like, this yeah. is, I think Heck is like a very good version and a very short version of Skinnamarink that you can like go and watch on YouTube right oh, now. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is surprising because I feel like if someone does the experimental stuff, moving them to doing like um, a movie with a very specific plot mm-hmm. that feels like you're rolling the dice there a little bit right because mm-hmm. it's like i don't know if the director of skin can make a narrative film maybe they can maybe they can't this does feel like though mm-hmm. and again it's important is that this has intent behind it mm-hmm. this isn't just i'm going to throw a bunch of shit together um on the other side of that i want to make it clear that like the snobby way to think of a racer head or this is like when people like it 
it's very easy to say, oh, they didn't get it. And it's like, no, no. they might have got it. Yeah. They just didn't like it. There's not much to um, get, get. There's not, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's not like a ton going on here. Like even Eraserhead probably had like more probably to say or more that was like going on with the imagery. But like there's not much to get. It's like a it's just a very young child's perspective that you're being forced to adopt for a long period of time. Although I, yeah. I'd argue that like this seems harder to me than make than a narrative film. The fact that it's even making any money or engrossing anybody when like narrative is the easier part than like mood setting. I'd say yeah. a lot of people fail at it. Like a lot of people write shitty narratives. Uh, that's obviously true. But like not everyone's trying to write a heist movie, right? Not everyone's trying to do a red notice. Like uh, a very simple plot can be made out of like most horror films. You can just direct line it, you know? So you don't need yeah. to come up with something very clever to write a compelling horror, like, narrative horror film. So I think this guy could probably, I mean, I've just, I've been watching a ton of his shorts recently. I think it's admirable that he never tried to make one of those look for the ghost in the picture thing. Like his things are entirely evocative. Like his nightmare uh, videos are just, they're never jump scares. It's always just sort of like, here's me taking what you're saying is a nightmare and like giving you a weird interpretation of it where it's just a mood it's just like noises in a background and it's just like oh you you had a bad dream that you were at a party and you saw flashing lights outside and they were aliens well here's like a moodscape of what that would be like yeah. and i think that's just really cool i'm really impressed by what he's been doing so i'm excited yep. to see what he's got going on next that's how i feel where it's that as a centrist as a skinnamarink centrist uh -huh. centrist i've just noticed like that really who likes this and who doesn't like this it doesn't necessary it's it has nothing to do with those who they are it mm -hmm. feels like yeah where uh it's interesting where it's like i'm sure there's people who are like i like experimental shit and i didn't like this mm -hmm. um and for me it's like i like a lot of this and the thing that put me off was yeah when there's loud noises or jump scares and it just pops my nerves in this way where i'm like well that's not scary i just i'm now i have a headache yeah um it's so funny because, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought of you immediately when that happened, but I thought, oh, they've been priming us for so long and they've restrained from the jump scares that having that one near the end, I was like, that's like the relief. That's like the, okay, well, we yeah. need to get get it out of the way. And I just really didn't like the part that was like the physical, the, the implication of physical violence into a child. Right. So I was like, that's unnecessary for a mood, for a mood right. piece, you know? But like, regardless of how I feel about it, it's still the one thing that's amazing about this. The reason I'm talking about this movie I'm putting out a podcast about this and not knock at the cabin oh, yeah. is because you look at this and you're like, holy shit, this is making so much buzz. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not like Blair Witch. Like I understand why Blair Witch had a low budget and made a lot of money. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I understand why paranormal activity had a low budget and made a lot of money. Yeah. The fact that this had a low budget and then made a lot of money is wild to me because of what it is because it is purely experimental yeah and it's it's like whoa really we're into this now yeah. and i'm like oh that's great i i haven't seen the outwaters yet but i hear that's a little surreal i mean i think um, it's like a, it's like a shutter thing and that's why i really hope that shutter gets stuck around and amc uh doesn't like give it the axe because oh, this is God, all me too because me too. like this is all shutter i mean i didn't I didn't feel a certain kind of love of um, a wounded, what's it called? A wounded fawn uh, that a lot of people felt, but are like, uh, but I really like with Josh Rubin and I think Travis uh, Stevens directed it, but like, I really loved that it exists. And I think that's how people feel about Skin and Rink, right? Like it's just like, yeah, it gives a platform to, and allows these like midnight films to sort of have a resurgence. Whereas before, like we've been shut out with so much Disney and like Marvel and stuff. It has felt like for a long time that you couldn't get, 
a small film made uh, that was in any way experimental or not being made by a giant studio. And this suddenly feels like maybe there's a space for horror to sort of lead the way on bringing back independent cinema that is just just weird for weird sake. And there's a budget for it or like they'll market it for you if you make it, you know? That's what it is, is it feels like the backlash to Marvel is so big because Marvel is the i would argue the most corporate movies have ever gotten yeah you know yeah um and so that means the indie backlash is even fucking weirder yeah where they're where and that's what is kind of amazing me is i look at horror specifically and it's like okay we had a decade of like elevated horror Mm -hmm. and then stuff like the green knight started coming out the a24 yeah yeah and it's like okay this is still as a narrative but it's surreal it's dreamlike and then we're getting this and this is big and it's like holy shit how experimental are we going to get in this now like going mainstream pocket of horror? It's kind of amazing to see this happen to horror right now. Mm-hmm. But and, like we still have slasher films. We still have the other types of horror, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's making me feel real good about the future and horror. And it's like one more reason why the Oscars have to start getting about in- horror movies. Right. Because when Pearl, which I think is one of the most cinematically impressive movies to come out of like this decade, probably like just in terms of like what it looks like, the scope of it, like how they shot it uh, and the performances in it. When Pearl gets shut out of the Oscars, I'm like, come on guys. Like at this point, you're just, you're and yeah. Nope as well. Like you're just like, you're just messing yeah. with us because like that looks better than tar like i oh you yeah know, like, ty, ty west is a director who it's like you sh- he should have had recognition a while ago yeah it's 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 wild how that is how shut out horror is because now more than ever horror is one of the biggest sources of art yeah it is <laughs> like yeah. it, it, the performance it's kind is of in incredible it. the performance is yeah. in it. like when you think of florence some of the Pugh, best performances yeah um, um we- like mia goth is just like one of these ones where i'm just like what the hell guys like i don't even consider pearl horror we're getting a little off topic but i don't consider pearl horror like it is a it's like mildred pierce with a horror bent to it but it is more just like a right. kitchen sink weepy that is is done up like a like a slasher film and i think that there's so much to be played with in terms of tone and like experience here that there will be something for everyone. Even if you're not a horror person, you're probably like an art person, right? Like you, you like, you guys like art, right? Like there's, there's something here for everybody. I mean, yeah, I would say this a little more towards the experiment. Like I, I wouldn't expect this to be up for an Oscar. No, no, not Um, this, but something. But the point being that it's wild how some of the most bold art we're getting is out of horror now. Yeah. And it feels like it's almost because no one else is doing it Mm -hmm. and so the horror community is like all right fine we'll do it because horror has always been a place for indie filmmakers right peter jackson sam raimi people get their start in horror a lot because it's accessible um but it's the fact that they're looking at that position they're like well if no one else is doing weird or like even like adult dramas uh like we're gonna do it let's do it um, under the shadow it's just a bummer that yeah. like lupita nyong'o should fucking get an oscar for us you know mm-hmm, yeah it's like uh, that's the that's the part where it's a bummer that like the mainstream won't meet them there but I, yeah I just, i'm glad they're doing it i just don't get like how you can look at nope and be like that is not cinematically impressive enough to earn an, a nomination but, like that last the best sound design the best are sound you design, shitting me i mean exactly exactly like it's that and the, the sound score again the score for uh, pearl just like you're just like holy yeah. shit like these are 
These are movies that are love letters to movies. I thought that's what you guys wanted, right? But yeah, it's because they're all old people. Like that's what it comes down to, right? Yeah. It's just mostly old people who watch certain movies. Well, Pearl to me is just like it's weird because it seems like a love letter to old movies. But that's my Pearl rant, and that's for another time. But I think sure. I think Skinnerink uh, is a trend in the right direction. I'd also say like TikTok is like onto this. I mean, the reason that everyone was have creating their own buzz about this movie is because this is like born out of. That sort of ARG-esque, like, alternate reality games. Like, there's there's a channel on YouTube I love called Nightmind that basically will just break down where these channels are and, like, what they're about. Like, we'll we'll tell you where these hidden games and narratives have been running for the past decade as people get older and they sort of morph them. They'll, They'll go from Twitter to TikTok to Tumblr to YouTube and they'll have hidden codes and they'll, you know, these are, like, long interactive games that people have been developing since, like, they were in high school. And while Kyle Edward Ball is like kind of like on the outskirts of that because he's not really in the in the, you know, crowdsourced gaming part of it, um, you know, like it's kind of like weirdly, it's kind of like what kind of gave birth to QAnon uh, yeah. in a way. Like it's this sort of like weird hitting codes, find the find the treasure map, find the key. Um, another good example of one is like Under the Silver Lake by the guy who made uh, It Follows. It Follows. Yeah, I love both of those movies yeah under the silver like they, they he hired, needs to make another movie he needs soon. to but then you know he hired a cryptologist who solved this what not the caesar cipher he solved the cipher that no one had solved in like hundreds of years he hired that guy to put ciphers in under the silver lake that people have been able to follow to a certain point and then no one's been able to like actually crack it that's like, so cool that to me is that the coolest shit, thing yeah. <laughs> i love it falls to me is the perfect blend of experimental so. and practical like or slasher like horror that that's my my favorite horror movie of the last twenty years, maybe. I'm glad um, to hear you say that. A lot of people, I feel like there's been some backlash. That it follows, and I really oh, love I it. Fucking love it follows. Yeah. Uh, uh, I I I do want to know. It, it really feels like the internet is what did this because it's not just so. It's not just horror. I'm thinking of comedy as well. Like mm-hmm. the meme culture is very surreal. Um, the sketch show, I think you should leave, yes. which I've been watching nonstop. Oh my God. That's one of those things where it's like, it reminds me of like kids in the hall or even Monty Python Yeah, where it's like, we've had surrealist phases and it, it, I love that it's coming back and it's almost like sort of naturally returned because the internet mm-hmm. seems to invite that mm-hmm. t- style. And I think the world is so fucked too, mm-hmm. but that people <laughs> like that form of escape escapism yeah i think it's um yeah i think that's right you know we grew up on adult swim so that's like our reference for like what random and like cool like tim and eric tim heidecker is like a producer i think of i think you should leave and is often like oh yeah he's in it yeah Yeah. he's and his his on cinema stuff that he's been doing now i think it's completely online but it is incredible and it is the slowest burn you have to watch nine seasons or like six to seven seasons of this guy's fake movie review show of him and uh (laughs) the guy who plays neil hamburger what's his name um uh, greg turkington just doing their like passive aggressive movie review shows that are like five minutes long. But as you get into like season five, five years of this worth of content of them reviewing every single movie, a narrative starts to emerge of like what's happening off camera, <laughs> like what's going on. And Tim's like, you know, held a music festival and accidentally like overdosed a bunch of kids on his vape pen. And like it, that itself is a four hour trial that you can watch separately. Like they, they've created all this like hidden content that like if you know about the what is it called the Sun Six the Sun Six uh, trial like you can watch four hours of a straight like done straight Tim Heidecker being tried for the death of all these kids due to like vape pen overdoses and like that's the kind of shit I'm here for I'm here to watch four hours of a fake trial that's done like super straight <laughs> it's like ex- uh, auxiliary information about this other web show that he does 
Yes. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's a commitment, though. <laughs> it is, but it's great. I love this shit. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, again, that's why Skinamarink, it's like, I'm never going to be mad at you. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I would argue for people who hated this movie mm-hmm. is that you it's fine. You, it's fine to hate a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the success of this movie is a very good thing that will benefit you directly. Yes. If you like horror movies or indie movies or just art in general, mm-hmm. even if you didn't like this, mm-hmm. you might like the next thing that gets greenlit because of this. Yes. You don't have to uh, like the, the next thing is, yeah. yeah, exactly. Where it's, it's opening up this uh, world of it's, it's basically a proof of concept of like abstract shit can sell right now yeah and even if you, uh, if you don't like abstract shit that's also fine but what this is meaning is that you can make your own movie and like have it be as narrative as you want but like there will be a platform potentially for it like there will right. be some place to watch it it'll resonate all the way to major films where it's like weird they're like even marvel is realizing like we can be weird yeah i mean uh, the who I they're hiring, everything yeah. everything everywhere all at once is the is the more mainstream version mm-hmm. where that's another proof of concept where it's like oh Weird is okay. Yeah. Faster is okay because our culture, we've gotten more and more used to this pacing. We've gotten more and more used to abstract concepts that we can just get weirder and weirder and weirder Mm -hmm. and produce even more advanced ideas in art. Yeah. And it'll go from everywhere from indie to mainstream. And I'd argue too, like the playing around with form, like the opposite version of this, right, would be something like Andor that took like the, the world of Star Wars and rooted it in like a very political non like jar jar non alien non robot droid things like it just made it like it turned star wars into a political drama basically i really need to watch that because that sounds like exactly my jam it is amazing there's a three episode prison arc directed by the guy who created uh the american house of cards uh bo willimon and like it is maybe the three best hours of television that you'll you'll spend this year like it i i know last of us is pretty good people love it but like this is real to me this is like it has Andy Serkis in it. It's it's incredible, and it's just it's just so moving and powerful to our times. But what it shows is like, yeah, even Marvel, even Disney, all these companies, or just one company, I guess, has to start thinking outside the box. Putting James Gunn in front of DC, you know, putting Taika and you know Sam Raimi in charge of like some Marvel films. Like these are all moves that are pointing to a certain kind of chaos, or at least a certain kind of like, well, let's well, try yeah, it. It's it's them realizing like. Like again, I'm. I don't. I haven't been very happy with um, blockbusters, but James Gunn. Like I fucking. I have Tromeo and Juliet. Yeah, on, yeah. Like yeah. I love that movie, and the idea that this motherfucker isn't just like when he was just making Marvel films, I was like, that's wild. Yeah. And yeah. now he's in charge of DC. Yeah. And it's like, the do they guy. know what they did? Do they? They put they, they put the guy from Slither in charge of DC. Like that's yeah. awesome. Go, go and ahead. that is mm-hmm. I love that progression. I love that idea that like yeah we're embracing weird and yeah. because comic book movies. When you think about it, the reason James Gunn works so well for comics is because comics are abstract and weird. Yeah, they, we should There's know that. There's a fucking that. talking raccoon. Yeah. There's all this weird stuff where it's like yeah embrace that. That's what you do. You embrace the weirdness. You don't make a serious, gritty version. Or, like, if you're uh, going to make a serious, gritty, because there's Frank Miller's of the world, right? Like, there just needs to be right. room for all of it. Like, I love that they hired uh, the Loki director. Uh, they hired, um, sorry, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead um, to do the next season of Loki, because they are, like... They are? 
Yeah, yeah, man. Oh, that makes me so excited. I just profiled them for Fangoria, uh, not once Holy but twice. Holy fucking shit! And they are one of there's they're amazing. Yeah, I'm Twitter buddies with one of them. Um, I love their work so much. They uh. Holy shit. Yeah, so they're like, doing the new season of Loki. There's there's set images. I mean, I just saw them like a, a month ago, the screening of their very indie film, Something in the Dirt, which is... I still need to see that. Is that on streaming finally? I, it might. I think it is on streaming, actually. Okay, yeah. good. And it's not part of their weird... Uh, I don't, I'm, it's sort of related to their weird own cinematic universe that they have going on with like The Endless and uh, Resolution, but it's like its own thing. And they are very much of the Skidamarink world, I'd argue. Like They were like the earlier oh, yeah. versions of this, this micro-indie horror that's just their own thing and they refuse to like make it accessible if you don't get it it's just not accessible i would say their stuff is less surreal for sure but yeah spring was amazing um yeah uh god damn i gotta rewatch spring yeah spring Um, spring's great uh i would say like resolution and the endless is companion pieces the endless is my favorite the endless is great i had seen resolution which is which is the the two guys in the house that they run into in in the endless? I mean, we're getting so off track, but in the endless, there's a scene where they go visit these two guys in the house. Those two guys right. are actually the main characters of a previous movie they've done that all connects back to. It all loops into a larger cinematic universe that they have like planned out on a Google Drive somewhere. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. So like, yes to all that, and like, no matter what you feel about any kind of movies or television or content, you can say that like it's better to have diversity in it, right? Like you. We can't argue with that. So yeah. this is just one extreme version of this. Creates innovation and junk. Yeah. Um, yeah. We are getting off track, so we could probably, <laughs> we could probably uh, close this out, sure, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, no. Um, I, I feel like I've said everything I need to say about Skin and Marink. Do you feel like you've, I've changed your mind in any way about, about the film or its, uh, its purpose? No, I, I didn't really, like I said, I, I, mm-hmm. it was like, I liked it. It's fine. Yeah. Like that's the thing is I'm not I'm not like neutral. It's just that uh I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. Um and I've already expressed why, yeah. but when people are like I love it, I'm like that makes sense. I'm yeah. glad you know like that that was the thing is I I that's why it's a hot take or I seem to be one of the only people who's just like I liked it. It's fine. <laughs> like that's how I feel about it. Um I've I have i also seen a lot of experimental shit, mm-hmm. so maybe it's that, but so have you. Yeah. Um so it's just I think, oh, oh, I can give you actually a really solid reason okay. why. Yeah, go ahead. I never had night terrors. Oh, okay. I've never, I barely even had nightmares. Oh. I have boring dreams. Oh. And I think, again, I like this for the art, but I don't think it hit me emotionally the way okay. it hit a lot of people. Okay, that makes sense. I think, too, like the, the, the medium on which you're going to see this is going to make a huge difference. I think, yeah, Dolby is going to... It, again, like we watched this movie and my boyfriend was like, this was the scariest thing ever. I don't think I'd ever watch it again because it's not going to be effective. He's like, knowing, right. knowing where the scares come in, knowing what's happening is not going to work. I kind of feel the opposite. I feel like watching it again would be like having the same nightmare two nights in a row. It kind of gets scarier on the repetition of it, but I am worried that like on watching it on TV, I'll lose a lot of what felt immersive about it. Yeah. This is a good background movie. Weirdly enough. I yeah. think, um, once you get used to it, like this is definitely a movie that's like, Oh, if when this comes out on Blu-ray, I'll grab it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be happy to have this. If people, if I know the right people where I'll be like, Oh, you should check this out. This is kind of, 
you know, it's not for everybody, but I know certain people that I'm going to say, oh, you should check out Skinamarink, you if, know? If I had a big house party or, like, was one of these rich people, I would have it on, like, in the background of the party, you know, like, just kind of, like, playing, just sort of thematically right. on a giant screen. People could just, oh, like... if I was at- super rich, I'd just have a room where it looped the movie. Yeah. I'd have a Skinamarink room. Oh, God, that'd be amazing. Yes, like, and it, everything would be on the ceiling, and it would just be, like, one of those uh, weird immersive houses. Yeah. Totally. Oh, you know what it'd be? Mm-hmm. I would do. I would do a. It would be a ice skating rink theme. Oh, so Skinamarink. Skin yes. Yeah, and so you could ice skate and watch Skinamarink. I feel like that would draw two separate crowds of people, and I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> Just brought- oh yeah, it would be a very confusing room. <laughs> and that's to the point. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, Drew. Thank you so much. Oh. Thank you so much for doing this. Would you Would you like to uh, plug again or have some? Uh, uh, yeah statement uh yeah you can listen to me talk about skin of a rank if you like this I have, I have some more comments on it uh over at like i said content candy it's called uh salty popcorn reviews with me and uh, eric rodriguez they're chronic um other than that i'm video drew across all social networks if you haven't gotten that yet that i'm also video drew then that's that's weird you should know that about me right uh, you should know that uh, i'm video drew one word video drew is one word and i'm uh that on all social media I think that's what Wonderful. I'm plugging right now. Oh, yeah, if you if you get Fangoria, like pick up the I think it was last issue, last print issue. I have a interview with Moreheaded and Benson in there. So that was pretty cool. Ooh, I do want to pick that up. Yeah. Um cool. Uh I'll plug uh patreon.com slash gamefully unemployed. G-A-M-E-F-U-L-L-Y unemployed. That's our Patreon. There's some exclusive podcasts on there, like Tom and Jeff Watch Batman and Fox Mulder's a Maniac. And some others. There's Star Trek The Next Futurama and Spiel Boys. We also watch movies every Friday night with our patrons. There's a bunch of stuff you can do on there. We also have a merch store. If you go to gamefullyunemployed.com, you can get access to that. Uh, and that's that's it. You know, we're gamefully un on Twitter if you want to follow us. That's yeah. also an option. Begotten is for sale online. I just <laughs> while we were recording, I just bought a DVD of it. Oh my god, did you really? <laughs> I sure did. Uh, I just want it. It's one of those where I'm like if the world ends, I want to have begotten to make sure I have it, you know? It's like me and like all the weird looking Pokemon from Japan. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, exactly. So in, yeah, in the apocalypse, people will be like, what do you have to offer? And you're like, I got these Pokemon. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. It's going to be like me and the the last of us. My, my contribution to society will be like, I have a bunch of old cards. Are these worth anything? No. And they're going to be like, we are going to eat you. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. I've already decided in the (laughs) post-apocalypse, I want to be, I just, just get rid of me. Just get rid of me first. I'm just going to hinder (laughs) <laughs> my my anxiety disorder is not going to like help it's not going to serve any natural purpose like just just shoot me in the head you're, you. you're going to be the you're going to be the skull in yeah. the beginning of terminator you yeah, know what i, I want it. it's just i i pray that we'll have a mass grave and it won't just be like uh nuked up i hope that there's a grave to bury us into that's what i want <laughs> all right mass grave it is <laughs> yep <laughs>